At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. As we get together today, I want to just ask all of you a question. It's a real question. And the question is this, how many of you like a mystery? Mystery stories. How many of you like mysteries? There's a few cautious hands going up around the room. Um, but, but in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, let me give you some expressions of just how many different varieties of mystery stories are out there for us to consume. I mean, maybe one of these will be of interest to you, like Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes or maybe Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew. Or how about for some of you, Murder, She Wrote. You never want Angela Lansbury to stay in your hotel. Um, or, or Matlock. Or how about for maybe some more recent times, CSI or, or Law and Order. Or maybe it's not a, a series or a show, but maybe it's a storyline of a mystery. Like, what happened to everyone at the end of Infinity War? Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Um, but, but, but what? maybe that's a mystery that has captivated you for the last year. Or, or maybe it's, is Ray a Skywalker? And that's the question that you're bringing into uh, the coming movie season, and you're wondering to know the answer to it. I mean, these are, these are mysteries that are out there. Or maybe for some of you, it, we'll go a little further back, who shot J.R., right? I mean, the mysteries are, are stories uh, that are out there. And so what is a mystery? When we think about what a mystery is, what is a mystery? Well, a mystery is a story known by the author, but not yet revealed to the audience. So in each of these instances of these mysteries, uh, when the story was written, they understood who did it. They knew who done it. They knew who shot J.R. They, they knew what was going to happen to the cast of Infinity War. But they just hadn't revealed it to us yet because they wanted that suspense to keep us involved. Marvel wanted us to spend another $87,000 to go to the movie last weekend to find out what happened. And so they, the story is known by the author, but it's not yet revealed to the audience. This is what a mystery is. And, and if we're honest, so many of us are intrigued by mystery stories of one variety or another. So because of that, I, I want to just mention for a moment this thought that each of us are actually starring in a mystery. All of us are included inside of a mystery story. Now, when I say that, because we live in a day and age where reality TV is ubiquitous, you might be thinking that what I'm saying is that we've got cameras everywhere and we're filming us and it's going to be turned into a television show or it's going to be turned into a movie or some kind of murder mystery party that we're going to have as a church. I don't mean any of those things. And also what I don't mean is that that I've come up with some random analogy because my mind comes up with random analogies, and you all know that. And you might be thinking, well, there's another harebrained idea that Mark's come up with. I want you to just to pause for a moment and think about this. The idea that we are living inside of a mystery is not my idea, it's God's idea. And it's not just something I've inferred, it's something that is explicit inside of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes under the direction of the Holy Spirit and lets us know that each and every one of us is living inside of a mystery right now in our lives as a part of the church. Now, what is that mystery and what is the point of it and what is the author, God, what is he trying to communicate through the mystery of the church? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. 
We're going to find out what this mystery is that you and I are a part of and what the significance of it is for our lives. And we see this revealed for us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And so we're going to be there today as we're going to be in part 2 of our series on the church as we look at the mystery of the church from Ephesians chapter 3. Last week, we talked about the creation of the church from Ephesians chapter 2. This week, we're going to talk about the mystery of the church from Ephesians chapter 3. So we're going to begin by me reading these verses for us, and then after I read these 13 verses, we're going to go back and move through them in four movements in order to find the significance of these verses for our lives today. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says this. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, friends, in these 13 verses, we're going to see four things today about the church the mystery of the church, and how you and I are a part of what God is doing in the world today. The first thing I want us to see is this. I want us to see the mission that the church continues. The mission the church continues. Now, we see this in verses 1 and 2, and then in verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians chapter 3. But it's helpful for us to, to understand the context in which this comes. And to get that context, we really need to look at how verse 1 of chapter 3 and how verse 14 of chapter 3 begin. If you look at those two verses, uh, chapter 3 verse 1 begins, for this reason I, Paul, and then he continues on, and then if you drop down to verse 14, he says the same thing, for this reason I, and then he goes into this declaration of a prayer for the Ephesians. Really what I think those two similar introductions indicate for us is that what happens from verses 1 through verse 14 is a long rabbit that Paul is going to chase. In other words, Paul is getting ready to say, hey, Ephesian church, I am praying for you. That's what he's getting ready to say. But as he, as he gets those words coming out of his mouth and, and onto the paper, he just gets distracted for a moment with this wonderful reality of how he got connected with them. 
He chases this rabbit directed by the Spirit of God so that you and I might understand something about how a Jew like Paul got connected with a Gentile church like the church of Ephesus and what that means. And so Paul begins to talk about the mission that he is on and that he is continuing inside of the church. Well, what does Paul say about himself? He describes himself in verse 1, first of all, as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, what does he mean when he says that? I think he means really a couple of things. First of all, Paul was literally a prisoner because of Jesus. Paul had been arrested and he had been imprisoned because of his faith in Christ. And when he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, he was under house arrest in Rome. So when Paul writes and says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he meant very literally he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. But the second sense in which Paul was a prisoner of Christ Jesus was not so much in a literal sense, but in a figurative sense. He spiritually had been captured by Christ in the sense that he had been captivated by him. He was following Jesus, and where Jesus said to go, Paul would go. He had a a relationship of obedience to Jesus in the sense that he had been captivated or captured by him. So as Paul writes to the people of Ephesus, he, he lets them know. He says, I, I want you to know that I am a prisoner of Christ, literally imprisoned because of my connection to him, but figuratively so intimately connected to him and obedient to him that I'm following him wherever he goes. I'm a prisoner of Christ. But there was a specific thing that had happened that had led to Paul's imprisonment. In other words, it wasn't just a general belief in Jesus that had gotten Paul in trouble in this instance, but it was a particular application of Paul following Christ that led to his trouble. And that particular application was Paul's insistence on taking the gospel to the Gentile people. See, in Acts chapter 21 and 22, we see the story of Paul showing up in Jerusalem. And Paul had become famous for taking the good news of Jesus and proclaiming it to people who were from a non-Jewish background. And this was very controversial, and it made him kind of public enemy number one among the, among the people who lived in Israel. And so when Paul came back to Jerusalem in Acts 21, he ends up being arrested. And he was arrested because he insisted on inviting Gentiles to follow Jesus together with him. And so Paul writes to the Ephesians and he, and he says to them, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. It's because of my insistence on sharing the good news with you that I have found myself in prison. That's what Paul says. But then he continues on and he describes this imprisonment in a, in a very unique way. He calls it a stewardship. He calls it a ministry. He calls it a gift. Now, I don't know about you, but being locked up in jail doesn't sound like a great gift. I mean, if you're looking for something for mom for Mother's Day, maybe sending her to jail would not be the best gift to give, right? But Paul here describes this trip to jail because of Jesus, because of his insistence on preaching to the Gentiles, he describes it as a gift, a stewardship, a ministry that had been entrusted to him. 
And the reason why he could describe it that way was because of his insistence on sharing the gospel. It wasn't just something that led to some challenges in his life, but it was something that gave him an opportunity to see the God of the universe do some amazing things. Literally, Paul saw the dead raised to life. Literally, he saw the gospel bringing light to the darkest corners of his world. And because of that, he was so enthused that he would call what he was going through, what he was experiencing, a gift that was given by God to him. It was a a stewardship, a ministry, something entrusted to him that he received and he was putting into practice. Not only did he describe this as a stewardship, but he, he lets us know that it was clearly a gift. It was something that was given to him, not as a reward because of something he had done, something that he had earned, but it was simply a gift given to him by God's grace. In other words, Paul did not get the opportunity to preach to the Gentiles because he was the best of the followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, how does he describe himself? He says, I was the least of the apostles. In this way, he was the first rapper. He was Lil Paul. Come on, give me, are you with me this morning, right? So he, he considered himself the least the least of the apostles. It wasn't because he had performed so wonderfully that God entrusted to him and gave him this ministry. But it was merely because of the grace of God that that he was given this opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, including the people of Ephesus. And so he celebrated that moment among them. Paul understood that there was a mission that he was continuing. And here's the thing. You and I are not Paul. We're not. But we also have been given a mission that we, by God's grace, have the opportunity to continue. And it's not because we do everything right, and it's not because our lives are so sterling and sparkling. It's because God has graciously given it to us. Why do I get to preach today? It's not because I'm better than anyone. It's because I'm Lomark. And God just happened to give me this opportunity. But here's the thing. God has also entrusted to you and given to you an opportunity. He's given an opportunity to little Becky, right? He's, he's given an, an opportunity to Lil Wayne. Wayne, where are you? I, got, I had to use that one, right? Um, he, he's given opportunities to us, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of his grace, God has given us the opportunity to continue his mission by mentoring a child in a local school. It's a gift that God has wrapped up and given to you. God has given us the opportunity to sponsor a child through the Compassion Program in Lagoa de San Francisco, Brazil. It's it's an opportunity that God wrapped up in his grace and he he has given it to you and to me. We think about the the opportunities he's given us to, to pour into the lives of those around us in our neighborhood, in our school, on our team. The, the, the ministry we do inside of a classroom in the children's ministry or leading that small group in student ministry or, or on the campus of the University of Oklahoma or in our workplace or in our family. Those are, those are things that God has wrapped up for us and given to us as an expression of his grace. And it may cost us, may not cost us an imprisonment, but it may cost us time, it may cost us money, but it's a gift. I think about my friends that have, have received into their home foster children and the cost of their time and their their emotion, their finances in the midst of all that, but the opportunity they see wrapped up in that to love and to reach out in Jesus' name. See, friends, when we think about the church, there's a mission 
that we get to continue. There's a mission that you get to continue. Paul knew that, and he reminded us of it in Ephesians chapter 3. The second thing that we see, though, here is we see not just the mission that the church continues, but we see here so explicitly now the mystery that the church reveals. The mystery that the church reveals. Now, we, we see this in verses 3 to 6. And inside of those verses, on two separate occasions, the word mystery is, is overtly mentioned um, inside of that. You see them highlighted here on the screen behind me, how, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, how it was the mystery of Christ. In the greater context of all 13 of these verses, he's going to use that word again, the mystery, the mystery, the mystery. Well, well, what is this mystery? Well, keep in mind the definition that we talked about earlier. It was something that the author knew but had not yet revealed to the audience. So there is something that is happening inside the church that God has known all along, but he did not choose to reveal in the past until something changed. Well, what do we see about that mystery inside of these verses? We see a few things. The first thing that we see about this mystery is that it was revealed to Paul. Verse 3 lets us know that. It was by revelation that God let Paul in on the secret. And Paul has then relayed it on to us. Paul was not the only one to whom this message was given, but he certainly was one of those to whom this message was given in the first century. So it was something that changed as it was revealed to Paul. Second thing we see about this mystery is that it was of Christ. Verse 4 lets us know that. This is the mystery of Christ. So whatever this mystery is, it was activated in Jesus. It happened because of something he did. Specifically, it followed his death and his resurrection. So when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he ushered in a mystery season something that God had known all along, but that the Old Testament had not spoken about. We, we, we see that mentioned in, in his admission that the Old Testament doesn't talk about it at the first part of verse 5. Just, just look at how verse 5 begins. It says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. What Paul is saying is he says the Old Testament prophets, Elijah, Moses, all of those, those folks in the Old Testament time, our heroes from the first 39 books of the Bible, they could not see the reality that we now live in because God had not chosen to reveal it to them. There were things they could see, but there were things they could not see. This mystery, whatever it is, is something that the Old Testament does not speak of. But he goes on, and he, he doesn't just say that the Old Testament didn't talk about it, but he says that the New Testament does. As verse 5 continues, it says, It has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, if you were with us last week, we looked at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, where that same phrase of apostles and prophets we talked about as representative of the New Testament writers in the foundation era of the church. What Paul was saying is he says this, this mystery is something that the Old Testament looked for but did not see because God had not chosen to reveal it to them. But the New Testament era, the New Testament writers, God is revealing to us through them, Paul included, in Christ, a mystery. Now, what is that mystery? Well, that mystery is, verse 6 makes very clear, that Gentiles and Jews are a part of the same body connected to and relating 
to God in this era. Look at what verse 6 says. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What, what Paul is saying is, is he's saying that, that in this present era, God is doing something new that the Old Testament did not foresee. And what he is doing that is new is people are relating to God not on the basis of their participation in a physical nation, not on the basis of their ethnicity or their practice of a religion that was known as Judaism or the Jewish faith, that, that in this era that we now live, people connect to God not on the basis of their Jewishness, but on their basis of their Jesusness on the basis of their embracing Jesus by faith, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their language, regardless of their nationality. The mystery is that there would be an extended season of time where people would come to God under the Savior and would live in this new reality that is known as the church. Now, I want to try to put that in in a diagram uh, to help make some sense of it. And since I'm a beautiful artist, this is what my diagram looks like. Um, And so what you'll see there is this little stick figure off to the side. um, And this is our Old Testament prophet. And he is looking across and he is prophetically pointing. That's the way the prophet's pointed, just like that. And so he's prophetically pointing. And the prophets are looking into the future. And as they look into the future, they can see the peak of a mountain, Now, in reality, it is two peaks that are out there, but they can't differentiate the difference. They just look at the peak of the mountain. And in that, they see all of the things that happen around the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. They see all the prophecies. They lump them together into one peak, one event. But the reality of the way that the Old Testament prophecies play out in history is that Jesus came once when he was born in Bethlehem, died on the cross at Calvary, and rose from the dead. That's peak number one. But there was a second peak prophesied, and that is when Jesus will return to the earth. And in that era between his first coming and his second coming, there's this incredible valley of time that is known as the church age. That's where you and I live. And here's something interesting to think about. Do you realize that this era in which we live is actually the dominant era in terms of number of years compared to the era when the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the the, the Jewish covenant with God, when that existed in that way, that that happened over 1,600, 1,700 years. And then in this era, it's over 2,000 years now that we're in this church age. What Paul is saying is this era, this extended era where we connect to God on the basis of Jesus, not because of our Jewishness, but on the basis of our Jesusness and our faith in him, this is a mystery that the Old Testament did not see, but that God always intended. Does that make sense? Because this shows this new economy, this new dispensation, this new era of relating to God, this is why we don't do things that sometimes are referenced inside of the Old Testament. This is why we can have bacon on our hamburger today. 
This, this, is, this is why we don't travel to Jerusalem to celebrate Yom Kippur or some of the festivals, because we live in a new era. We live in the valley, the mystery period of time, and it was a mystery to the Old Testament. In other words, when God talked about the festivals, he didn't say, and you will do this for a little bit, and then you won't do it for about a couple thousand years because things are going to change, and you'll connect to me through Jesus, and there'll be this extended era. He doesn't say that because it was a mystery in the Old Testament, but it's revealed inside of the New Testament, and it's a reality that you and I get to experience. We, we live in this mystery era of the church. And so inside of Ephesians 3, we see the mission that the church continues. And we see the mystery that the church reveals. But we also see the message that the church sends. And we see this in verses 9 through 11 inside of chapter 3. You see, in these verses, we, we find out that God is doing something in this mystery era. In other words, if we are starring in a mystery story for the universe to see, what is the, the message that God wants to send through us? There's a purpose in it. There's a message that he wants to send through the story of the church. Well, what is it? Well, first of all, we, we, we see him talking about communicating in this way. Verse 9 lets us know that, that we are a light shining for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden long ago? The world is a, is a dark place. A, a lack of knowledge is darkness, but the church comes along and we get to shine a light into the darkness so that people can see and understand something about God. Paul reminds us that we get to shine into the dark world. Not only that, but we, as we shine into this dark world, there's a, a plan that is, that is, that is happening it's according to God's plan. It's according to his purpose. It's not an accident. See, what we're living in right now has very intentionally been thought out by God for a very specific purpose, the era in which we now live. Not only do we find out that this is a plan, but the plan is that in this present age, the manifold wisdom of God might be communicated through us. Now, what does that mean, manifold wisdom of God? Well, that word manifold is, is this beautiful little world, word. You know, you know what it means? It means like technicolor, multicolor, multi-hued. That's, that's, what it, that's what it means. And so what we have right now in this era is this entity that God is creating that is not una-ethnic. It is multicolored. It speaks the language of every tribe, of every tongue, and of every nation. And in the midst of this current age, what God is doing is he's drawing together a people that have their Jesusness in common, but who have everything else different, their nationality, their country, their geographic region, how they talk, the sports they play the businesses they operate. They come from all over, but they're united in Jesus. This multi-hued, multi-colored, technicolored group, the manifold group of the church communicates something about the grace and the wisdom of God. See, God is not just searching for one type of person. He's searching for all people. Why, why are we going to the world? Why are we caring about the gospel going to the ends of the earth? Because God cares. That's what this era is about. This era is about people uniting under Jesus and following God. And that opportunity and that offer is available to 
all, including every single one of us in this room. In this era, that it's part of what God wants to communicate. But who's he communicating it to? Well, certainly he's communicating it to you and me as we look about it, we think about it, we reflect about it, but is there something more? Absolutely, there's something more. What, is, what does he say inside of this passage? Who, who gets to see and hear this message? Not just us, but he says right there in verse 10, he says, the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. You ready for your mind to get blown just a little bit? Who is it that's watching the movie of us? Angels and demons and Satan, who are not omniscient. They don't know everything. And God wants to teach them something. And so he's teaching them something through you and through me. In this age of the church, the technicolored aspect of God is revealed in history. And the powerful grace of God is revealed in real time. God didn't just write a treatise or a letter and post it on the wall of the break room for angels for them to read it, read the memo and find out what happened. But God reveals it over thousands of years in real time on this planet so that the angelic realm would come to know the multifaceted wisdom of God. Now, and this fulfills the purpose in the world. So God's plan is to be glorified through us and to communicate a message through us, even among the spiritual world around us. Now, friends, that infuses our lives with an incredible amount of meaning, doesn't it? I mean, our lives are on display. There is things about God that are being communicated just by our very existence to those we cannot see and those who we can see. We have the privilege of being a part of sending a message to the universe about the reality of who our God is. So we've seen the the mission the church continues, the, the mystery the church reveals, the message the church sends But the last thing I want us to see today is a mindset that the church possesses, the mindset a church possesses. Now, we see this in the last couple of verses of this section where Paul begins to draw some application for for each of us in light of what he has just shared. And I just want to read these verses for us, and and then I want you to be looking for what what those two points of application might be. So I'm actually going to ask you, so be thinking, because I want you to actually answer here in a moment. But he says in verse 12, he says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So if you were to look at those verses, what's one of the applications you see in those verses? The boldness, right? The boldness and the access that we have to God, we can boldly go before him. Now, why would he draw that as the conclusion from what he had just said? He would draw that as a conclusion from what he had just said because 
He's just talked about how we live in this mystery era where Jew and Gentile are united together in one body, have access to God on the basis of Jesus and nothing else. What that means is we no longer have to go through a high priest. We no longer have to go through someone else. We no longer have to travel to one city so that we can be closer to the spot where God might listen to us. But if we are in Christ, we have direct access to God through him. You know, we, we, we struggle with this in our world because many times we, we think that the only people that can have bold access to the Father are those who might have official roles like pastor or, or something like that. And, and this is kind of a, a mythology that we've built up around. If I really want God to hear my prayer, I'm going to ask Mark to pray for me, or I'm going to ask Bruce to pray for me, or I'm going to ask Brooke or John or, or Brian to pray for me because they're the ones that have this direct access in some way. But that's not what is happening in this mystery era. All of us have direct access. I'll give you a, a quick story of this. I, I see Scott Mogan sitting back there. This was a story from your rehearsal dinner. Um, and it was just this wonderful moment where, where uh, we're, we're all sitting there and, and uh, Scott's dad, Doug, is, is right across the table from me. And then I'm sitting here. And right behind me is Mark Steiner, who is the father of the bride. And, and Doug stands up and he, and he looks, I'm thinking he's looking right at me, and he says, Mark, would you pray for us? Now, here's the thing. As a pastor, I get asked to pray a lot, and so I'm thinking, well, of course, he's asking me to pray, and so I'm like, yes, and I get up, and Kimberly knows the certain face that I get when I'm getting up to speak or something, and so I'm putting on that face, and I'm getting ready for this pastoral moment, and then I realize that everybody is laughing, and they're not laughing like, oh, I'm so happy Mark's going to pray for us. They're laughing at me, like, what are you doing standing up? And I realized in that moment that I had just stepped on the prayer of the father of the bride, who was the Mark sitting directly behind me. See, we we struggle with this idea, right, that the pastor has some kind of access that we need to have, but, but the reality is all of us, all of us have bold access to the father in Christ. You take advantage of that? Do you take your prayer? When we gather after the service to pray for anybody here at the foot of the cross, it's not because we have a special pipeline here. It's because it's a moment of fellowship to bear a burden together. We can have bold access to the Father. All of us can. The second application, do you see it? It's in that last few phrases there. He says that we don't have to lose heart. Now, why would they lose heart? Well, they would lose heart because where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He was in prison, right? And and why was Paul in prison? He was in prison because of Jesus, but also because of his insistence on sharing Jesus with Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile Jesus follower, you might lose heart thinking, is what happened to you going to happen to me? Because we have two things in common, Paul. Jesus and Gentile, and those two things have gotten you in trouble. Is that what is coming for me? And Paul writes to them and says, hey, I don't want you to lose heart. I want you to know that, yeah, there's some, there's some cost with following Christ, but it's glorious. The things that we've experienced together, the reality that we're seeing, the, the cosmic audience that is watching us, this is amazing. This is glorious. Therefore, don't lose heart. Friends, there's purpose in your life. God is glorified as we follow him, even if it costs us something now. 
Inside of this passage, friends, we've, we've seen that we have a mission. We have the privilege by the grace of God of continuing. We've seen that we are a part of a, a mystery that is being revealed in this age about God connecting us to him through our Jesusness and nothing else. That We are a, a part of proclaiming a message even to the angelic realm about the reality of who God is and how far his grace can go. And in the midst of all that, we get to have a mindset that is not discouraged and that can boldly approach the throne of grace. For all of that, can I get it one amen to that today? Amen. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of looking at your word together today. And thank you for the the hope that we see in the gospel and the power that we see inside of this passage about what you're doing in the world and how you're involving us in it. Father, I I pray for each of us that that we would continue to to rely upon your grace, um, stepping into the opportunities that you've laid before us, and that you would receive the glory and the honor as your message goes out for all to see. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.